0: welcome back to cancer actually fucking sucks the podcast where we get into all the details that come with being a young adult going through cancer treatment and all the effects that come with it today i'm talking to francesca Piccolo, an integrative wellness coach and osteosarcoma survivor welcome francesca i'm so excited to have you
1: thank you i'm so excited to be here
0: Well, I like to start with first how we got connected uh, just through Instagram, funnily enough, which I love. Uh, Do you connect with a lot of other survivors on Instagram?
1: I try to as much as I can. I just, I feel like it's so important to connect with people who have been through similar situations that you have. And it's really given me so much comfort, just like life after cancer and, um, you know, the difficulties that may come up. So I find it really Comforting and inspiring to connect with other survivors.
0: Yeah, agreed. It definitely makes it easier to talk to people that actually understand what we're going through definitely. during and after. And tell us a little bit about your diagnosis.
1: So it was 2010. I was 15 and I was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. It all started out with a simple pain in my knee. I was playing tennis pretty regularly at the time. So I was thinking it was a sports injury. I got hurt. No big Mm -hmm. deal. And over, you know, the course of, you know, six months, the pain just started getting progressively worse Mm -hmm. until um, my knee actually swelled up to the size of a softball. And the pain would wake me up in the middle of the night. So we're like, something's definitely wrong. But throughout all this time, I would go to the doctor and, appointment after appointment and they just it's nothing it's a growing pain it's a sports injury no big deal Mm -hmm. you know it will go away and after you know all my blood tests coming back normal they're like we're just gonna send you in for an x-ray so I go and I get an x-ray and right away he knew that there was something was wrong so I got an MRI and that's when we found it
0: and tell us a little bit about so what happened after that after they found it um like what stage
1: was it at so we found it pretty late, I would say. It was, it was pretty far progressed. They actually told us that we caught it right in time at the point where they were able to still do something about it. Mm-hmm. So um, at this point, I was in so much pain. My leg was so swollen. And uh, yeah, I, drunk, I actually jumped into treatment right away about
0: mm-hmm. I don't know how
1: long after. It was pretty soon after we found it. And um, I had a bow six rounds of treatment, and it actually actually didn't work, didn't do anything.
0: (laughs) Wow. And what was the treatment?
1: So, you you mean, like, the names?
0: Yeah. Like, what? It was chemo?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was chemotherapy. I don't remember, like, the initial ones that I was on. There were Mm -hmm. two, I believe, and, um, you know, we would, like, switch them up. But, yeah, they didn't work. And so the cancer actually spread into my lungs. I think they took-
0: And it was during
1: treatment that it spread. It was during treatment. So I actually went in, they were the original plan was that I was going to get a limb salvage surgery. We were going to replay, we were going to remove the tumor out of my leg and um, do a total knee replacement. And Mm -hmm. when we went to go do my scans to see, you know, like the, you know, what we were going to do for the operation, it actually Mm -hmm. turned out that the cancer spread up and down my leg and then into both of my lungs.
0: Wow. And did you feel like you couldn't breathe or anything? Like, could you tell that it was in
1: your lungs at all? You know, I actually couldn't. I had no idea that it spread until they did the scan. Yeah, that's so crazy. But with osteosarcoma, it does, it metastasizes into your lungs. And so that's why you really have Mm -hmm. to be careful with it because it's easily spreadable into other parts of your body.
0: And do they have any idea how long you had it before you found
1: it? Um, I... I really don't think Um, I remember a couple months before I was diagnosed I was diagnosed in April and I got really Mm -hmm. sick the December before that Mm -hmm. and it was just like an odd sickness I was very um, kind of like flu like symptoms and I remember that happened so maybe like that it kind of has the connection I have no idea though I guess we'll never really know
0: yeah it's really interesting you say that because with mine too i was I wasn't sick, but I had this really bad pain, and my brother had it too, like a year before I figured out that I had Hodgkins, it was like like I had a fever, it was so weird, so I'm just curious like and we don't know actually how long I had to be there before, but it's just really interesting to hear kind of like what happens before in life that might have
1: yeah and sprung it. Or it's something. really crazy because I always wonder too like when did it happen? How long was it growing inside my body? And I just had no idea. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah it's crazy. And you were only 15, like what was going through your mind when they when they said everything. Like I can't imagine <laughs> being in um, high school.
1: Yeah, no, it was awful. It's honestly the only way to put it. I remember I remember every aspect of the day that I was diagnosed. It's mm. like down to the socks that I was wearing. I, wow. I remember it all. And it wasn't – it actually wasn't a doctor that told me I was sick. It was my mom.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> and so – Did the doctor tell your
1: mom? They did. So it was the day that I went to go for my, um, my X-ray and then my MRI. And the doctor pulled my mom aside to speak with her and – I wasn't allowed to be there. They wouldn't let me be present for that conversation. Oh, wow, That's interesting. But just he – I think he just told my mom, like, hey, you know, like, this isn't looking good. This is what I think it is, and she needs an MRI. And he actually wouldn't let me leave the building without getting an MRI that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember we were, like, leaving after I had the stand done and everything. And we're getting into the elevator. And I asked my mom because at this point I'm like, this is weird. What's going on? I, you know, I, I was yeah. a little anxious that he wanted to speak with yeah, me alone. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm already like a little nervous, and I ask her, and she starts out saying, "Well, he thinks you're going to need surgery." I'm like, "Okay." And at this, yeah. At this point, like, I've never gone through anything like that in my life. Like, I was petrified of needles, and so to hear I had to have oh, surgery gosh. was right. like. That I don't know, that was like worst news ever. And so, yeah, so I asked why. And she said, Well, he thinks you have a tumor. And then I automatically make the the connection between tumor, cancer, cancer, people die. Right. And so that's all that's going through my mind. And I honestly, I think I like fell to my knees and I was just, I was like a mess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's interesting that he didn't want to say it in front of you. Is that, do you know if that happens like for really young
1: people going through it? You know, I actually don't know. I I want to say it's because I was underage and he wanted to speak to yeah. my mom first about it. Um, right. Bitch. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It, right. Like, How yeah, I would have handled it in yeah. the other scenario,
0: but... And then, so, the actual treatment, tell me a little bit about that. Like, Obviously, it didn't work. What kind of side effects were you having and then what happened once it was clear that it wasn't working
1: yeah so I the initial treatment I had there were two so like I said the plan was to shrink the tumor and then do a knee replacement and that obviously mm-hmm. didn't work and so we had to change course a bit and I was on doxorubicin cisplatin and two others I believe they're very harsh I don't know if you had them or I don't know no people that had them but they're they're not fun at all and the doxorubicin actually affects your heart. So yeah. it damages your heart. And then the other ones, they're just not fun. They, I was so nauseous. They actually, the treatments, they, they they, left me so sick. I honestly, I felt like I was dead the entire course of treatment. It's horrible. It was terrible.
0: And then, um, and you lost your hair.
1: I did. I lost my hair. And like we talked about, that was both of her biggest fears. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. That's like sadly the worst part for, yeah. I I think it is for a lot of people. Especially, especially young females. Like, I'm sure some guys feel that way too, but like,
1: our hair is. like our identity exactly I know everyone I talk to every girl at least says the exact same thing like that was the worst part for me losing my hair and when Mm -hmm. I when I first like heard I had to get chemotherapy like that's just your instant thought like that's all you think about I have to lose my hair Um, and you're like hoping it doesn't happen in those rare cases that someone doesn't lose their hair like maybe that would be me Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't <Yeah>. me.
0: <laughs> it wasn't me either.
1: What was that experience?
0: Like, did you like when did you start losing it? Did you shave your head or how did it work for you?
1: So, I lost so my hair started coming out after my my first couple rounds of treatment and I would just lose mm-hmm. it in clumps. Like I remember I would wake up to just clumps of my hair on my bed. Yeah, and it was probably one of the most traumatizing experiences of the whole thing—just watching your hair fall out. I would honestly find like clumps of hair in our car, like well oh after gosh. it was already off, because it was just like it's everywhere. It's like a whole, right, it's just like falling. a whole head of yeah. hair. So you know, I avoid shaving my head
0: as mm-hmm. long as I
1: possibly could and yeah I just got mad at like it did so I had to shave it eventually
0: which yeah. is fine
1: I mean I rocked it and I yeah I did but I could with it
0: yeah <laughs> which yeah. is nothing same. yeah exactly same with me I I just shaved it and <sighs> it was yeah it was like you just don't
1: ever think you're gonna see yourself bald <laughs> no it's an experience <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um and then how did I'm curious how like cuz like I said like you're 15, that's so young. How did like your friends react? Was it, you know, like how was like those relationships cuz you're in high school. Like I feel like no one has to deal with stuff like that.
1: Yeah. No, I growing up I never knew anyone having cancer. And so yeah. I feel like that was especially difficult and I was I was still in school. I was 15. And you know, life was so normal. I was going to school. Um, I, you know, I had friends, and then this was just the biggest shock. Mm-hmm. And but you know, they were all very supportive. They were, um, you know, all there for me, which was very nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Did you find it? Because it's also interesting. I think when people go through cancer, just at any age, people don't know how to react. Oh, definitely. Don't know what to say yeah. Did you have, was there anything when you were going through it, through treatment, like a support group or anyone you talked to that also had it? Like what helped you kind of during treatment? When
1: I was going through treatment, I honestly had, besides, you know, like the people who were being treated at the hospital, I had no one um, Mm -hmm. that I could actually relate to so mm-hmm. you know and as you go through that you're constantly at the hospital you're living there pretty much yeah and so yeah. you know those friendships they kind of you know drift drift away a little bit as they do because you're just so stuck in this fight light survival mode mm-hmm. Um. but yeah I mean after treatment I did seek out a support group which was very helpful yeah that's great
0: and so what happened after those first six rounds of chemo and they found it didn't work?
1: So we switched gears and they, um, they put me on a whole different treatment protocol.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I believe I was on four different chemotherapies. And I had oh, wow. about, I want to say I had 10 rounds before they did my surgery. And Mm -hmm. so they, they, they told me that, you know, the only option left is to amputate your leg. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that, yeah, that was not fun. That was not a fun conversation. So that happened six rounds of treatment that I did initially did not work at all. And like I said, the cancer spread up and down my leg and into both of my lungs. And at that point they were, there was nothing they could really do except an amputation i mean i i i could I could have gone and done the limb savage surgery, but they didn't recommend it um just because you know reoccurrences they probably wouldn't have gotten all the cancer. I probably would have had multiple surgeries down the line, and just the quality of my life would not have been matched to what it would have been if I got an amputation and yeah. so That's, you know, and they just didn't recommend it because they really thought that the cancer was going to come back. And at that point, if it came back, there was probably nothing they could do.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you decided to go through with the amputation. Yeah. What was that? I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, what was that like both mentally and then once you're done, like what kind of like physical therapy do you have to do I don't walk us through that process
1: yeah so they told me I needed an amputation and besides the day I was diagnosed that was honestly the worst day of my life like, I'm sure yeah I remember the day because I was meeting with my oncology team and they all piled into a room together and they closed the door and I'm oh like, gosh. this is so odd. They never close the door. Like, this is a children's, like, pediatric wing. Like, doors right. are open. Kid- kids are everywhere. Like, this doesn't happen.
0: Wow. Um, so
1: immediately in my mind, I'm thinking something's wrong. Like, something's mm-hmm. not right. They're going to break some really awful news to me. And so they told me that, you know, they recommended an amputation because the treatment didn't work. And I just started sobbing. Were you with your parents or anyone? I was with my sister, a friend, and my mom. Okay. So they were all there, and I just – I lost it. Um, wow. And I did not want to go through with the surgery. I, In my mind, I was still thinking this is not going to happen. I'm going to stick with the original plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I completely fought against it the entire time. We were looking for other treatment options like throughout the country and other countries, Sending my yeah. scans literally to every hospital to see if there was, you know, if they would recommend something else. And they all said the exact same thing. Like, this girl wow. needs an amputation. Like, mm-hmm. she will honestly probably die if she doesn't have it. Like, this is her best chance at survival. So, wow. at that point, I I knew I had to do it as much as I didn't want to. Um Yeah I mean what really changed my mind were my siblings like I remember sitting Mm -hmm. on the couch one night and they're like look we know as I'm like sobbing to them they're comforting me like I know you don't want to do this but you have to like you have to do this because like we're not gonna allow you to die (laughs) basically. Right yeah so yeah yeah
0: that's amazing you had that support group too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It makes such a difference. And what, I mean, after that happened, what, like, how were you able to get back to living a normal life? And, you know, like, what did you have to kind of go through?
1: So, after I had the surgery, I actually, I remember I woke up and next to me was a girl who had osteosarcoma, but she was on her 16th surgery trying to save her leg. So, wow. Waking up to that, I it was kind of just a reassurance to me, like, you did the right thing. Like, yeah. Like, you could be in that place right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was not – I don't want to say comforted by that, but it gave me reassurance. Right. But I still had so much treatment after that. I went through another oh. year of treatment after. Wow. Uh, after my amputation. And so I was mm-hmm. very – sick I didn't tolerate the treatment well at all and so I didn't really learn to walk until I was completely done with treatment so yeah it was a very long road (laughs)
0: yeah that's a very long road for sure and then after treatment like I'd love to hear like after everything happened kind of like what were your next steps in your life and
1: yeah so I finished treatment and then it was just trying to get a back to normal life as I could And, you know, after cancer, that's very hard. (laughs) It's – yeah. I mean,
0: normal is no longer Normal doesn't exist. Right.
1: It will never exist again. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, never.
1: So, you know, just learning how to walk again. And really, that was, like, my main concern after treatment. I just – I wanted to walk. I wanted to be able to do all the things that I did beforehand. Um, Of course. So that was my main priority. But, you know, after all that, you know, I – I got very comfortable with my leg. I honestly forget
0: that, yeah. I, that I
1: even, you know, have a prosthetic leg. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, after that, I went back to school. I got into health coaching. It became such a huge part of my life just trying to heal from the treatment because of all mm-hmm. the side effects and, you know, feel as healthy as I could after going through that.
0: Yeah. What kind of side effects were, did you experience?
1: Really, the main ones were just gaining my strength back. I was so weak after treatment. So I honestly didn't feel normal or healthy until probably a year and a half after all my treatment ended, yeah. uh, which is, I think that's normal for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So really just building back my strength, my immunity. But some of the other ones were, you know, ringing in my ears, digestive issues, um, anxiety panic attacks things like yeah. that which i yeah. think are pretty common same
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure some ptsd oh definitely um okay i know this is like weird and personal but i'm always curious because my digestive system was freaking insane <laughs> <laughs> so what was yours like um i'll start because i know it's awkward but i literally couldn't poop for like two months
1: same <laughs> okay same. <laughs>
0: Some people like go too much and some people like literally I literally couldn't go
1: for like oh, like a month and a half to one. Oh I was like the same way definitely. It's horrific and yeah, no one thinks about treatment. I know people don't think about that when you go through cancer but it literally affects every part of your body.
0: Every single part. It's so weird. It's insane. So I'm also a health coach but I'd love to hear from you like why you started because um, you did IIN as well. Yeah. So like kind of what why you started there, and then also um, what you're doing now.
1: So before I even got sick, I never really had a good relationship with food.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: you know, I grew up on the standard American diet, like a lot of us do, mm-hmm. and just health and food in general were not. It was not something that I thought of. Yeah. Um. So as I was going through treatment, I remember the oncologist giving me a list of foods and he said, eat these foods, you know, like just, it's all about calories, really. Just keep your weight on, you know, we want you, you know, don't lose as much weight as least as possible. Did you lose lose weight during treatment? I did. I went down to like 93 pounds, I think. Wow. Oh my gosh. So I lost a lot of weight, but it's weird because some of the treatments made me gain weight and then after... I think it was after I went on, you know, the ones after I lost my leg is when I started losing weight.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. The gaining weight because I, I gained weight because they would like give me steroids before treatment Yeah, to like avoid infection. And those made me starving and like crazy. And I know like from my support group, a lot of people, I didn't know anyone that lost weight. So that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So at first I gained weight and then I lost weight. But it okay. was, you know, it could have been just because I was so sick and I was throwing up like 20 times a day. Yeah. And I literally couldn't keep any food down because I would just throw it back up. Yeah. Um, So that could very well be why. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. That's, that's probably why. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the, so health coaching. Oh,
1: yeah. So um, your doctor
0: gave you a list of foods.
1: Yeah. So on this list, he, it, it was cheeseburgers, french fries, milkshakes, and that I'm was just, on the list. This was on the list. It said wow. Twinkies. <gasps> and as I'm reading this, I'm like, this does not make sense. Like, I know I'm not big into health, but I'm supposed oh to God. be fighting this. And this, I cannot see this getting any better if I am just feeding my body crap. Like, yes. how, am I, how am I going wow, to feel? Um, and so during my treatment, you know, as I'm just, I feel like shit. I'm like I can't do this anymore. Like I wanted to stop so badly and I remember actually looking at, you know, natural alternatives and I know people frown upon that a lot, but I'm like there just has to be something else. Yeah. And obviously I couldn't do them during treatment. Yeah. I'm an underage girl, so that wasn't going to happen. So afterwards, I just really got into, you know, alternative health and ways mm-hmm. I could support my body and heal it and help it thrive again. And so that really just, you know, cancer was definitely the catalyst for my healing and everything that came after that and me becoming a health coach and, um, you know, doing what I want to do and helping other survivors. And I think that, you know, our bodies are just so powerful and mm-hmm. we literally If we utilize the right foods and the right resources, I don't think there's anything our body can't do. And in the least, I think we're able to support our bodies and our systems and help it thrive, you know, as best we can um, under the circumstances.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I can't believe your – that's so interesting, the list that your doctor gave. Like, I – because I remember asking – my doctor like what diet should you know or my dad even asked he was like is there a certain diet she should follow you know like I'm feeding my body poison I have to clean it out somehow and he you know he's brilliant of course like my oncologist was amazing but he was like you know follow the Mediterranean diet I'm like I don't even know what that is <laughs> <laughs> can you give me some examples of like meals I should make um so same that's why I also it was the catalyst also to becoming a health coach so
1: yeah you would think that you know they would give you more information but yeah there's such a gap yeah for what what I've come across that's not the case and I actually hear a lot of stories of people getting the same list of food eat the Twinkies eat the milkshakes eat the cheeseburgers and it honestly blows my mind I I don't know (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, all of that stuff causes more inflammation in your body. Like, exactly. You don't need any more inflammation. Wow, that's so crazy. Um, okay, and then in your health coach practice, kind of who do you help? Um, where can people
1: find you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at ShineWell Health. And when I when I became a health coach, I started, you know, working with a wide variety of clients. But through that, I've really realized that I want to – work closely with other survivors and Mm -hmm. um you know not just healing their bodies well not healing but supporting their bodies in a natural way with foods and lifestyle but also through that journey after treatment and the trauma that they may experience because I feel like that's something that you know a lot well you know every cancer survivor deals with the after effects of treatment but there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of support around that
0: yeah and so that's one thing that
1: I really want to focus on
0: yeah amazing well thank you so much I have one more question that we like to ask what um what's the best story that you can tell us where you use the cancer card
1: oh let's see. I've got to think about (laughs) this one (laughs) I've used it so many times I probably don't use it as much as I should. Because I could probably get away with a lot if I use it. <laughs> For sure. You could
0: definitely get away with a lot.
1: In the beginning, I definitely pulled the cancer card. I can't think of anything in particular, just random situations. Like I would just be like, "Hey, like, yeah, <laughs> I have cancer. Like don't fuck with me."
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Even after everything was done and I was like like deemed cured, I would like just literally anything. I'd be like, um, I have cancer, so <laughs> I can't.
1: Exactly. I'm gonna use that excuse probably to the day I die. Oh, well, we <laughs> deserve it. So we do. <laughs>
0: um, amazing. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely having you again. You can find Francesca at Shine Well Health on Instagram. Thanks so thank much. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Madison. Of course. Bye. Bye.